Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. So last week I was talking to you about my uh, less than successful Christmas shopping for my wife. And if you weren't here last week, I think you can probably pick up on how that goes pretty quickly. So I think I'm doing better this year because I went out shopping yesterday. Now, that's a crazy thing to do, isn't it, to go out shopping on Saturday before Christmas? You know, but anyway, so I was out there I'm thinking, what can I get? You know, man, I put myself on the spot in front of the whole church talking about this, you know. And uh, so I'm, I'm th- and all of a sudden I get a text. And it says, don't buy clothes. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. So I remember that one. And I get a text a little later and said, well, but you could buy this. And this is like from heaven I'm getting texts, <laughs> right? How to do this. Anyway, so I think I'm doing better this year. Uh, how many of your schedules have been busy at Christmas time? It gets crazy, doesn't it? And, and the thing that... The, but as me as the schedule starts to happen and, and, and then all of a sudden it's, I'm being, I feel like I'm being told what I have to do. Anybody else like it? Just be real honest with you. Did you feel like you had to do something at Christmas time that you really weren't necessarily wanting to do? Uh-huh. Well, some of you, some of us, <laughs> include myself in that. And, and I don't know about you, I just don't do real well with being told what to do. Now, I guess none of you have that problem, right? When you're being told what to do, well, you have to do this. Why do I have to do this? Because you have to do it. But, but why do I have to do it? Because it's, you're supposed to do it. Yeah, I mean, on and on it goes, right? And, and so we have this natural thing inside of us. I mean, here we are, I had this big celebration, and all the things we're looking at, you know, and you realize, don't you, that most of the stuff that's going around, on around us at this time of year in Christmas has nothing to do with Christ, right? But it's fun. It's enjoyable. It's a, we do it. Uh, but so here we're celebrating. We're really at the core of this celebrating Christ. And then we have all this busy stuff and all we have to do. And then we're getting you know, pushed here to do this. And so in the middle of this big celebration, we find ourselves sometimes bristling at having to do things that we don't necessarily want to do because it doesn't come natural to us to like to have somebody else run our lives for us. I mean, are you with me on that? Do you like to feel like somebody else is running your life? Well, we want to run our own lives, don't we? Ruin our own lives might be. But so in the middle of the celebration, in the middle of the Christmas story, we find this issue rising up, and that's what we want to look at today. So turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. It's right where the traditional Christmas story is. We're going to be on page 1179 that's in the Bible there under the chairs. And if you don't have your own Bible, we'd encourage you to pick up one of those and follow along with us. We'll be on page 1179 and 1180. So last week, we, or two weeks ago, we talked about anticipation, anticipating the Lord's return through, with all the prophecies. Last week, we talked about the incarnation, how God himself became a man. Today, we're going to talk about celebration. Uh, and next week, we're going to talk about continuation of the Christmas story. Uh, but in the middle of this celebration, there's a challenge. There's kind of a, 
aha moment that we want to take a look at. So starting in verse one of chapter two in Luke, and it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. Now, why would they want a census and register everybody? Money, you're right, it's taxes. We find right away in this story, one of the two things that every one of us ends up being certain about in life, right? Taxes, what's the other one? Death, that's right. And that's one of the things Jesus came to do was to die. But so taxes right here. So I mean, things haven't changed all that much, have they? So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. And so what they had said is, we want you to go back to the city of your birth, where you're from, and that's where you're going to be registered. Verse four, Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. Okay, so, so he had been living, if you, if you can look at a map, he's living up north here in a place called Nazareth in the region of Galilee. And, but his birthplace and his heritage was down south in Judea, in the town of Bethlehem, which is just a few miles outside of Jerusalem. And so he has to make this trek. And we know something about this, right? Because we've heard this before. He has to make this trek with a wife who is expecting a child. Okay, verse five. So he went there to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Uh, so this idea of, of traveling with your wife who's expecting. I, how many of you have ever been in the car uh, with your wife, or you were the wife, with a wife who was in labor, like really serious labor, and you're on the road? Okay, yeah. Yeah, so we had our first, our first uh, child, John, I mean Joshua, was, it took him 24 hours to come. Started his labor, it took him 24 hours to come. That was in Missouri. Then we moved up here, and, and, and uh, we're expecting our second one, and we assumed it would take quite a while for the second one to come. So I don't remember when the contraction started. It must have been around four in the morning, something like that. I don't think Glenn didn't even wake me up. Woke up a little later and said, yeah, I'm having contractions. And we're thinking, okay. And all of a sudden she says, we need to go. We, we need to go, like now. And to go now meant we had to take our son, uh, oldest son Joshua, we had to drive, we lived uh, kind of downtown at that point in time. We had to drive up through Kelly Square and up Vernon Hill and over Vernon Hill to Massasoit and down and around, clear across Route 20 and drop him off. And uh, yeah, this is rush hour in the morning, okay, about eight. And so we're coming back and she's getting really serious. We're driving. And we're driving past St. V's because we're going to Memorial. And at this point, her water breaks, and we are sitting at the stoplight at eight o'clock in the morning. So I said, enough of that. And I pulled out and I straddled the middle line all the way down Vernon Hill. <laughs> and drove fast, got to Memorial, pulled in right in front of the emergency room, and I jumped out and was taking her in, the guard yelling, you can't park there. I said, I know, I know. And we went in anyway, and, and uh, uh, back in those days, you know, they were, 
we were still involved as, as husbands, but not quite as much as they are now. But so I remember going around the back aisle, parking the car, getting in there. I'm standing there, putting the gown on me and the mask on me. I'm looking through the, 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 the window into the room, and I go in there, and boom, he's, she's born. It was like that. So after that, we always went to the hospital earlier. <laughs> but here is, here is Joseph and Mary, and she is great with child. She's going to have this baby, and we don't know exactly all the timing involved here. But so she comes and they make it there and then she, she uh, gives birth to him but uh, she's not able to be in the normal house because there isn't room there probably because people from all over have come back to register and be there and so they find a place for her you know, where maybe it was in a place where they normally kept the animals in a manger for, for the baby. So that's the picture we see on all our Christmas cards, right? Okay. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And so what I want you to see here is something is this, that um, the shepherds were really considered to be a lower class of people. If you were a shepherd, you were, you know, lower class. And, and so they're out in the fields and, and something's going to happen special for them. Verse 9, and behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Uh, once again, we don't know all the details of this, but we do know when we see the angels portrayed in the Bible here is that they are, all, they are always this very, very bright white. And the glory of the Lord, how, how glorious is that? How big a thing is that, you think? You know, that's got to be huge. And, and so it's dark, it's quiet, the stars, and all of a sudden, this you know, bright, bright light and angelic being starts talking to them. Verse 10, then the angel said to them, do not be afraid. Why do you say that? Because they were probably scared witless, right? Do not be afraid before, behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. Great news for everybody. For there is born to you this day in the city of David, that's Bethlehem, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So if one angel was startling, what would an entire sky full be like? Okay. It's interesting to me, I, you know, I, I kind of wonder what the angels are, are like. You know, years ago, we wrote a musical here and did it with the kids and talked about angels and, and Christmas and all that kind of stuff. But I can't help but think that here's all these angels that all of a sudden, boom, they show up, right? I envision it like this. I mean, how often do these angels get to do this? Well, we really don't see this huge bunch of angels, if I remember right, anywhere else in the Bible until we get to the end times in heaven. So this is their one shot, okay? Now, Gabriel, he's had some more duties, but he's the one, he's, he's, he's talking to the shepherds and telling them, and I just envision, it's almost like these little kids, right? They're somehow rather veiled, you can't be seen, they're in heaven, and they're waiting to go, waiting to go, and they're holding them back, you know, and, and they're, oh, this, this is talking, look how scared they are, <laughs> she's, <laughs> right? And then the time comes, boom, and they get to do their thing. They celebrate big time, right? Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace, goodwill toward men. So the angels 
get to celebrate like they never have before. And of course, they understood better than anybody, any human being, what was going on. Verse 15. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which, which the Lord has made known to us. Okay, so God didn't show up and tell the priest in the temple. God didn't show up and tell the rabbi in town. God didn't show up and talk to the mayor. He talked to us. We shepherds who are generally considered to be nobody. So it's kind of cool. Here's the angels who, you know, never get to do this, and finally they get to pop into our world and, you know, praise God and celebrate. And then we have these shepherds who get, are now somebody, right? They're somebody because the Lord spoke to us. Verse 16, and they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And, and um, <laughs> so you know the comma is important there? Somebody gets it. <laughs> found Mary and Joseph, comma and the babe lying in a manger. I remember when I was little, honestly, trying to figure this out. Mary and Joseph and the babe were in a manger. All through. Some of you aren't getting that yet, are you? Right? It kind of sounds like that, doesn't it? But no, it's the baby who's in the manger. Verse 17, now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. So again, here's these shepherds who nobody's, people aren't listening to shepherds. They aren't interested in what shepherds have to hear. And all of a sudden they want to hear what the shepherds are saying. The shepherds got something to say. They are somebody, at least for this time. Verse 19, but Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. So what the angel had told them was found to be absolutely true. What I want to do is go back and, and look at two verses here, though, and focus in on an issue that's, that's very natural to us as humans. It's something that gets confronted here, um, not just in the Christmas story, but brought up in the Christmas story. Verse number 10. Then the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. So good news that brings great joy. I mean, lots of times we get good news, but you wouldn't say it brings great joy. But this is the kind of news that you get like, yes, this is good. So what is it? Verse 11, for there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And there's two terms I want us to look at here. And, and uh, what I want to first address the issue of Christ. Remember, Christ is the, the Greek form of the Jewish word Messiah. Okay? So it's the same thing. In other words, it's identifying. This is the one God had promised. This is the one that all the prophecies have been about. This is the one who's coming to deliver his people, deliver God's people. Okay? So he's, that's who he is. But I want to look at the word before that and the word after that. For there's born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, a Savior. Um, is that something to be excited about? Oh, yeah, we get that, don't we? Right? He's coming to save us. Man, we need to be saved. This is a good thing. But he is who? He is Christ what? The Lord. 
the Lord. Now, it's easy for us to think of that as just some religious word, you know, the Lord, um, and not even thinking much about it. But really, when you're talking about someone who's a Lord, that means everybody else isn't. And that means, as we're going to see, the Lord is the one, I mean, think about this, the Lord is the one who we're supposed to surrender to. The Lord is the one that we are supposed to obey. The Lord is the one who we're supposed to give our entire lives to. The Lord is the one to whom we're supposed to surrender all the stuff that we have and, and all of our plans and personal life. He's the one that we're to be willing to die for if need be. He's the one. Okay. So now we're being told what to do. You see that implication here? The Savior comes to save us. The Lord comes to we feel like to what? Take over our lives. To take control of our lives. And so somehow, and, and maybe I'm the only one here like this, but Savior sounds good and exciting. That does sound like good news, you know, great joy. And the Lord, the one who's come to take control of your life. Well, by nature, I don't like that. I mean, how many of you would like it if I came to you and said, okay, I'm going to take over your life for you? Well, hey, I'm a good guy. Come on now. I'm going to take over your life. You, you wouldn't want to do that, right? We don't want anybody really to do that, do we? And yet, how is it that, you know, Savior being this, this great joyful news, how is Lord this great joyful news? Hmm. And yet, let's look. What's, what, what did the angel say? Verse 10. I bring you good tidings of great joy, the Lord, included with the Savior. So it is both. Well, let's, let's, let's work through this a little bit here. Let's think about this. The, the, the word Savior is, is very simple, really, in what it means. It, it means the one who saves us, okay? So, but what are we talking about when we're talking about saves us in the Bible? I mean, this might be new to you. When we're talking about being saved, we're talking about this. All of us have sinned. We've all messed up. We've all disobeyed God at different times in our lives. Sometimes a lot, sometimes maybe other times not quite so much, but we've all, at the, at the, in the heart, we've set ourselves up as, as the Lord and, and live life the way we want to live it. And we've disobeyed God in the, promise, uh, in the, in the process. And, and the result of that is that we're separated from God. Our sins separate us from him. We're going to talk more about that a little bit later. But our sins separate us from him. And, and so the penalty for our sins is that we, have, we are spiritually dead to God. And if we die in that condition, we will be separated from God forever in a place called hell. Paying the penalty for our sins. All right. Well, the Savior came to save us from that. To save us from the penalty of sins. In the name of Jesus, which we saw last week, uh, the angel told Joseph you're going to name him Jesus and told him why, told Mary you're going to name him Jesus. The name Jesus in the Hebrew language, depending on which, uh, whether you use his long form or short form. My, my long form, my name's Walter. Short name short is Walt, right? Well, it's the same with Jesus. If you use the long form of his name, it's Yehoshua, and that means God is salvation, or Yeshua. The one we probably hear more often means God saves. God saves. And so Savior, we get it, right? God has come to save us from our sins, from the penalty of our sins. Okay. Now, the word Lord, uh, it comes from a Greek word, uh, kurios, and it means this. It means the supreme authority, 
the final authority, the one who rules over all. And it's translated God, it's translated Lord with either a capital L or a small L. It's also translated master and even sir, okay? Because this word would have been used by the people in Jesus' day uh, to talk about God. And in our Bible, most of the time it's talking about God as the Lord, as the supreme and final authority. But people would also use it like if they were talking to the king, they would say, my Lord, you see, recognizing his authority over them. So, uh, this word Lord means that God here is the one who rules over us. He's the one who has the final say about our lives. He's the one who has the final authority, the one who we ought to allow to control our lives. Okay? So, once again, we're being called upon to do what? Yield up control of our lives to somebody else. And that goes against the grain. But I want you to see here. The angel said, uh, this, born to you this day, the city of the day, a savior who is Christ the Lord. All right, now, it's not just savior, it's not just Lord, it's savior and Lord. You don't get to experience the blessings of one without getting the other. These two things go together. I mean, we, we might want to say, hey, you know what? I, I, I like that save part. <laughs> I like that getting out of hell part. I like not having to pay the penalty for my sins part. But you know that Lord part? Eh, I don't think so. The Bible says it's Savior and Lord. And, and this is very, very important for us to understand. Uh, in in uh, Romans chapter 10 and verse 9, it says this. It says, if you confess with your mouth, the Lord Jesus, go ahead and put that up there if we would. Is it up there? No. Put that there. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Now, I want you to see something here. He's talking about how we get saved. And we have to believe that Jesus died for our sins and rose again. We have to do that. But there's something else we have to understand, and that's that Jesus is Lord. He is God in human form. He is the one that, that, that God sent. He is the final authority. He is the one who we have sinned against. And the one we have sinned against is the one who loves us so much that he wants to save us. And, and this isn't like magic words. You've got to say, okay, you want to be saved? Okay, say Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. That isn't what we're talking about here. You know, the Bible is clear that, that what comes out of our mouth comes from where? From inside of us in our hearts. And so it, we need to have settled inside of us that Jesus is Lord. He's the, he's the one who has the final authority. He's the one who has the final say. And, and you can get saved without having that specific knowledge in your head. But where you cannot get saved is saying, yeah, I want the forgiveness, but no thanks to the Lord. See what I'm saying? Your heart's not in the right place when that happens. Your heart has to be yielded to God. Coming with no negotiations, no of your own plans. Here's what we're talking about when we talk about then is Jesus is Lord. We're talking about that getting saved from the penalty of our sins and living our lives, that we're supposed to do it on his terms, not our own. But how do we want to do it? We want to do it on our own terms, don't we? You know, I've talked to a, a number of people over the years who, you know, you're talking about Christ and the gospel, and they say, boy, you know, I, 
if I become a Christian, then that means I either have to do this or I can't do that. And I'm, I'm not ready to do that. See, the heart's not in the right place. They want it on their terms. But when we really understand that Jesus is Lord, it's, it's not on our terms. It's on his terms. Has to be. And I think this idea of on his terms is where the rub comes for us. It's where the difficulty sets in. The idea of on his terms. He is the Lord, so it's on his terms. You know, we grow up finding ourselves in situations where we want to do something. And and mom and dad, the authorities in our life, tell you what? No. Okay? Well, I, I don't want to do that. Well, you have to do that. And we start to feel like authority becomes a killjoy in our lives, don't we? And so there is this natural sense when he's saying, hey, he's Lord and you need to come to grips with it. You need to live life on his terms. That we, feel we, we have this natural, all these memories and things that make, well, wait a minute, when somebody else takes control of my life, they rob me of the fun. Right? And, and it makes sense at some level because I talked about it earlier, but who would you be willing to give absolute control of your life? Another human being. I'm voluntarily going to give you the complete control of my life. I got to tell you, I think that I probably care about me more than any of you care about me. Right? I care about myself a whole lot more than you do. Even some of you guys like me a lot. Okay? I care about me a whole lot more, and I've messed up my life. And so if you who don't care about me as much as I do, you probably really mess it up. See, I, I mean, I get that, right? And so, but here's what it comes down to, is Jesus is not just another one of us, is he? He's not another one of us. He is God in human form, excuse me, in human form. And so when he says, living on his terms, while initially that might hit us as bad or hard, is it really such a bad thing? Living life on his terms? I mean, let's think, I wrote some things down here about this. Think about this. When it comes, I mean, how, how has living life on your own terms gone for you over the years? Hmm? Well, think about this. When we're living life on our own terms, when it comes to having a personal relationship with God, when we've lived life on our own terms, it led each of us to sin against a holy God. It caused each of us to be separated from a loving God, and it set each of us on the pathway to hell where we could end up separated from God for all eternity. So when it comes to spiritual things, how has living life on our own terms done? Not so good. And then when I start to think about the rest of life, not just the spiritual stuff, but how I've lived my life, my relationships, my money, uh, uh, work choices, on and on it goes. If you're like me, live the times when you've lived your life on your own terms. And by the way, I've lived life on God's terms lots of times and experienced the great blessings of it. But when I've lived life on my own terms, I think if you don't agree with me, thinking we were smart, we acted stupid. Thinking we were meeting our needs, we hurt ourselves badly. Thinking we could get out of the hole we were in, we dug a deeper hole. Thinking we could make things better on our own way, we ended up actually making things worse. Thinking we had solved our problems, we discovered that we really had just kicked the can down the road and the can was getting a lot bigger. 
Thinking we were arranging our mess in a way we could handle, we made a bigger mess we could never handle. See, this is what happens when we live life on our own terms, and it's all so unnecessary. Because the angel said, I have what? Good news that brings you great joy. You get Savior and Lord. And see, really the idea of him having him as Lord is a good thing. Because God just didn't give us a savior. Okay, you're forgiven for your sins. Go ahead and live life on your own. Just keep doing all that stuff you've always done. Live it the way you've always lived it. And we're gonna have some hell on earth before you finally make it to heaven. God didn't do that. He blessed us in two ways. He blessed us with savior and with Lord. Think about this. He sent us the Lord, God himself in human form who understands our situations and struggles. He sent us the Lord who would give us good direction in life, always wise counsel, always leading us in ways that are in our best interests. He sent us the Lord who would protect us and direct us and provide for us as we live out his goodwill for our lives. He sent us the Lord that we could honor with the way we live and in the process fulfill the very purpose for which we were created. And on and on the list goes. All good news that leads to great joy. When we yield ourselves to the Lord and accept that he is Lord over us. The fact that we get Savior and Lord is a really, really good thing. Now you might be here today and say, yeah, okay, I'm hearing what you're saying, but I'm still hesitant about this. But consider the results of setting aside Jesus the Lord and doing your living life on your own terms. Consider where this leads you. I mean, things might be going pretty well for you right now. It might seem like everything's fine and life's going good, and, but I guarantee you, the longer you go living on your own terms, the more things are gonna get messed up. And by the time you come to the end of your life, you will have some very, very deep regrets. And if you're honest, you already have regrets from times when you live life on your own terms instead of God's. And if you haven't ever received Christ as Savior and you continue pursuing this on your own terms, you will have regrets forever in hell. It just doesn't work. Consider what God says about the results of living on our own terms. He says, uh, first this, Isaiah chapter 53 and verse six, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. We have lived life on our own terms. In Romans 3.23, he says this is what it means. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. We've all failed to measure up to God's standards. Living life on our own terms, we've sinned against God, we have failed to measure up. Isaiah chapter 59, he says this. He says that your iniquities have separated you from your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. See, this is where living life on our own terms brings us. Separation from God. But it doesn't have to stay this way. It really doesn't have to stay with us. Right here, 
Right now, this morning, you can change this. <clears throat> if you're a Christian, as you've already received Christ as Savior, that's, that's clear to you, you know that, you've already done that. But you aren't living life on God's terms, you're living it on your own terms. You're maybe not your whole life, maybe this, this area of your life and this area of your life, or maybe just one small place you're hanging on to. You're not, you know, not letting him be Lord there. You're doing it on your own terms instead of his. It's never going to take you where you want to go. It's never going to honor the Lord, which is what you were created for. In fact, let's just do this. Let's just bow our heads here for a moment and close our eyes. If you know for a fact, yes, I've received Christ as my Savior, but you also know for a fact that there are one or more areas of your life where you're not yielded to him as Lord. You're just hanging on to that area. You're kind of maybe even trying to ignore it. You're doing things on your own terms there. Man, you need to change that today. Why don't you just pray along with me right now. Say something like this to God you know, in your heart there. God, I know that you have saved me. And I, I know that you are the Lord. But God, this area of my life or these areas of my life, I know, I admit that I have not been living on your terms. I've been living on my own terms. And Lord, I know that's not right. I know it produces nothing good. I know it doesn't honor you. I, I confess this to you today. And I look to you for your forgiveness for that. And please help me to make a change. Help me to do something different there. To begin to live life on your terms. Amen. Heads bowed, eyes closed still, please. If you, as a believer, just prayed along with me in that prayer, would you just indicate that right now by just raising your hand? Yes, all over the place. Yes, thank you. Father, thank you for these believers who have been so open and honest before you today. And I pray, Lord, for some victories here that your spirit will work in their lives powerfully, that they will yield themselves to you and they'll begin to experience the, the great blessing of living life on your terms in these areas. And it would be a powerful testimony for your working in their lives. Thank you for this. Everyone still had bowed eyes closed. If you're here today and you say, you know, I don't know that I ever have really made that once and for all decision to receive Christ as Savior. I never really settled that whole sin issue and I don't even know if I'm going to heaven because of my sins. And if you would like to settle that today by receiving Christ as Savior, you just need to be honest and open to God, the fact that you have sinned against him and it separated you from him. You need to believe that Jesus really is Lord and that he died for your sins and rose again from the dead. And what I want to encourage you to do is right now, let's make that decision to receive Christ as Savior. If you want to do that, you pray along with me silently here now as well. You say to God something like this. Say, God, I have sinned against you. My sins have separated me from you. If I die like this, I'll be separated forever in hell, and I don't want that. 
I believe that Jesus is Lord. And I believe that he died for my sins and rose again. Right now, the best I know how, I receive Christ as my Savior. I trust him to forgive my sins, to pay the penalty for my sins, and to help me live my life the way he wants me to. Amen. Still heads bowed, eyes closed. If you just prayed with me right now to receive Christ as Savior and settle that issue in your life once and for all, I'd like to pray for you as well. Would you just raise your hand and say, yes, Pastor, I prayed with you right now to receive Christ. Yes, I see that hand. Others? Yes, I see two hands. Thank you. And that one too I see. Thank you. Anybody else? Father, thank you for these who have raised their hands, indicating that they have received your son today. I pray, Father, that it will be so real to them. They'll understand that you have forgiven every sin they ever have committed, ever will commit, that you've paid for all of them, that they now have eternal life. When this life is over, they go to be with you. And help them to understand that you have moved inside and you're going to begin to help them to work from the inside out, to change them in good ways. And I pray, Father, they will see that they can trust you to live life on your terms. And I pray this in Jesus' name.